This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and I'm here with my oh-so-wooden co-host, Jon. How are you doing, Jon? I'm wooden. Okay, I'm racking my brain. What the hell do you mean by that? It's the fifth anniversary of the oh, Roaring Elephant Podcast. Is that wood? And what is the... Yeah, wood is the, is the gift. Um, does that mean so, you're married? I mean, I thought it was better than suggesting that you had wood. Um, that's a different Okay, topic. this is a family podcast. Come on, we have to keep that clean tag. We haven't deviated from that from the last five years. Come on. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes, it is indeed five years of the Roaring Elephant podcast. Episode, at this point, 273. 273. Uh issues sessions i don't know episodes. what you call them but uh episodes that's, there we go that's possibly a better you, word yeah. shows if you want to be yeah. more yeah of of you and i talking utter drivel into microphones and publishing it on the internet you know now for some time with video as well and people actually listening to us watching not so much but listening yes yeah listening yes yeah, as you say like by the way, if you haven't, we're on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, <laughs> and maybe even watch a few episodes. Uh, do all the YouTube things. But yes, um, YouTube not so successful, but the listening part, very successful. And in fact, um, you know, we, we've obviously, like most podcasts, we've seen the numbers somewhat uh, soften, should we say, over the course of the pandemic. But actually, the last couple of months, as things have started to open up and people have started to travel more, we've started to see the numbers rising again, which is very exciting. Yes, definitely. Now, listeners, please don't think this is going to be an anniversary episode with a lot of us navel-gazing, because we got saved. We did. We did. We, con we are continuing our tradition, uh, and that tradition has basically evolved into catching up with John Murtick of the Linux Foundation and just finding out what the Linux Foundation and specifically John is up to. So John uh, is a long-term and long-time friend of the Roaring Elephant podcast. We have had him on every single year that we've been running and he is a, a entertaining guy to chat with. <laughs> Um, he's been involved in the Linux Foundation actually for for only a little bit longer than we've been chatting. So he's been at Linux Foundation for uh, just over six years. Uh, we've been chatting to him pretty regularly for about five. John is involved in a whole bunch of different things from the ODPI, the Open Mainframe Project, the ASWF that you'll be finding out more about. Um, Open, uh, the Open Security Foundation, the R Consortium, and so many other things, some of which uh, he's going to be talking about coming up. But uh, yeah, I, once again, John uh, has plenty to talk about, and there's always so much stuff going on in the Linux Foundation. It is very easy to think Linux Foundation equals Linux, and the Linux Foundation is so much more than that. So, uh, I don't know if you've got anything else to add, John? Nope. John had a lot of new stuff to talk about, so let's dive in. Yeah, let's do it. But uh, 
Thank you, Jon. Thank you, John. And uh, let's do it. And uh, so, it, as is seemingly tradition, uh, it's an anniversary episode. It's our, I believe, God forbid, fifth anniversary, Jon. We've been doing this for five long, tedious years. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the gift that keeps on giving every single it, year. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of the gift that keeps on giving, as has become the tradition, John Murtick's here to join us for our fifth anniversary. And uh, John, welcome back once more to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for um, actually, you know, you know, welcoming me back and uh, um, putting up with me for yet another podcast here. Um, so always excited to talk with you both and just kind of see where this conversation ends up at. Uh, you always have a lot to talk about. So it's very good for us to have you on the show every time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we, we were chatting briefly before we started recording, but uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, things are busy for you. Things are always busy, um, you know, just for me and also just, I think, the Linux Foundation in general. Um, you know, you can yeah. probably follow a lot of the news uh, cycles there. We're seeing more and more um, foundations that are coming in, projects. I mean, I think to date, we're probably somewhere close to 800 projects um, hosted, um, some of them yeah. more sort of umbrella foundations, some of them more singular, but, um, you know, we're, we're seeing just a huge swath of projects coming in. And, and actually, even in the time of COVID here, we've actually seen that really uptick quite a bit, which has been really interesting. Um, and even just from an industry basis, we're starting to see a lot of industry verticals, you know, really start to get more serious around open source. Um, so it's busy. It's busy and it's busy all in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned industry verticals. Again, before we, before we started chatting, you mentioned uh, LF Energy, and uh, for people that are curious, uh, lfenergy.org is seems to be the place to go to initially find out more. But John, like, what's what's this all about, and and how's how's Linux Foundation getting involved in in the energy business? Yeah, so I mean, you know, the the push in this industry is um, towards global decarbonization, um, becoming more mm. green. I mean, this is something that this industry has been at for quite some time. Um, you know, the, the biggest challenge in this industry is there's just so many different efforts um, coming here. There's a lot of different regulatory pieces coming to play. You know, we have things like COP26 and whatnot that are coming to the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same pattern that we see across other industries is when a problem becomes mm -hmm. so large that it's bigger than any one company, any one vendor, you know, even any one two or three vendors, open source tends to be the the way that it all sort of comes together and having that neutral area to collaborate is is what makes these you know things push forward and you know we've had a lot of industries we've worked with in the past like um, automotive and um, a number, number of others um, but you know the energy industry you know certainly there's a lot of really interesting unique bits there I mean one on the regulatory side, um, two on just some of the you know technologies and standards that are coming together, um, and and we're seeing more and more of the grid operators coming together, recognizing that hey, if we can standardize on a lot of these similar technologies, the same open source code, collaborate together, um, it's saving us a lot of time and money. So uh, this this is this has been a project I would say probably in the last two years, and I would even say even over the last year, especially has just got so much more interest, um, you know, not only from the European side, so, you know, folks like RTE and Oleander, which, you know, for your folks in Europe, 
you all are very familiar with them um, from a grid operation standpoint. But then we're seeing vendors like Microsoft coming to the table that have um, interesting investments and interesting focuses that they're at in this area. And they're seeing is this this way to collaborate to sort of drive uh, a ton of this forward. I mean, the the sort of the energy business has. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge expert in this space by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but traditionally, do you think it's fair to say that it's been sort of mostly monopolized by uh, a lot more of the um, sort of very siloed vendors, very sort of very specific closed kind of solutions, and that this is a bit of a revolution almost for them? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is a this is a traditional industry and and a regulated industry, which means two things. Um, one of, you know, it's slower moving um, and two, it very much will deviate towards, you know, where its comfort zone is. And, you know, I think this has been one of the, the biggest areas um, of investment that I've had personally. And I've worked with the executive director, Shirley Goodman, on, um, you know, quite a, quite a bit is helping work with these companies to really just understand like how to work in open source. Like what does it, you know, mean to um, contribute code? What does it mean to start a project? What does it mean to take part in a project? What does it mean to use this code internally? Uh, and, you know, and, you know, how to do it in the context of, you know, regulations, but also understanding the grid infrastructure is just so important to our society. Um, you know, in the U.S. here, we've had some fun supply chain attacks you probably all have heard of in the last mm. uh, couple of years here, um, which has put a huge also focus on, you know, thinking of, you know, supply chains, software build materials and things like that. So, I mean, I would say that it's, I would take your comment and just say it's, it's traditional. And when we see traditional industries, they will look at sort of the, the tech industry and the things of the world. And where a couple of years ago, they kind of would give them a little bit of the side eye and say, well, that would never apply here. They mm -hmm. realize that to innovate, they need to become software companies. They're realizing the same thing that the automotive industry, you know, realized many years ago and that we've seen other industries realize as well. Financial industries is quickly realizing this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's and that's what they're doing. So a lot of the a lot of really the focus is teaching them how to do it, um, you know, giving them the capacity, helping them build up that capacity internally. Um, and also the transition from where that industry has been driven very much as a standards focus to how can standards and open source software be driven simultaneously. Um, so that's that's another really interesting wrinkle. Yeah, yeah. Like what are, if you're able to share, like what are some of the most interesting stories you've seen come out of LF Energy? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're some of the newer projects that are starting to come in here. One comes out of Oleander, um, which is a project called OpenSTF, um, which stands for mm. short term forecasting. And one of the big challenges that grid operators have is they're trying to predict what the tax is going to be on the grid. And one of the biggest factors of that is what the weather is going to be. Um, and so being able to help have predictions on that gives them a sense of, okay, which parts of my grid are going to be stressed? Which ones do I need to pay attention to? You know, where am I going to need areas to, to drive up more capacity? Because energy has sort of this unique property of it's created and used or, you know, 
off to off to the the ethers, you know, pretty much in an instant, right? It's not something you can necessarily store up. I mean, you know, there, there's some battery capacity, but for the most part, it's something as quick as it's created, it needs to be consumed um, mm. to be efficient. So, so that is an interesting project um, starting with an oleander and just coming into the foundation, which is really trying to help you know organization or you know some of these grid operators make a greater real realization of you know what are going to be my needs can i predict ahead of what my needs are going to be based upon past trends where are areas that it, it's going to be you know pushed upon so so that over there is just a really fascinating project um yeah yeah, yeah talking about batteries i mean you mentioned the car industry earlier there i mean there's some synergy uh -huh. going on there as well because i know oleander for instance they're trying they're thinking of using electric cars as temporary storage devices for their excess energy production that's also mm -hmm. a, a big software story right prediction it, it is a huge software story and then there's also just a lot of technologies in open source that is is coming into you know some of those um you know connectivity to the you know to um, electric cars as well um, you know, we have a project um, called Open Leader, which is kind of in that space that is looking at sort of the ADR uh, specification and thinking about like how do we how do we build an open source project around this, but also that can grow to tackle a lot of the you know the e-mobility that's coming down the road um, and help standardize you know smart meters and things like that so they can be more widely rolled out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there there there's there's a lot of really cool innovation happening in this space. Yeah, yeah. Like the so you mentioned sort of automotive and uh, you know now energy and like there's a number of manufacturing there's a number of ver industry verticals that have seen the light. Like what would be your guess as like who's next? Like which is the next industry vertical you think may may come down this this journey as well? Um, it's the I mean it's there there's just tons of them that we're seeing. Um, I mean I would say really. If you look at any traditional, um, if you look at really any traditional industry, they're all looking at it right now in some stage, you know. And the reality is, is a lot of them are already using open source. Like there was a black, yep. I think it was a black duck survey done a couple of years ago in the energy industry, which was really fascinating because they first went and asked like all the CTOs or the CEOs of these companies, like how much open source do you think you're using, and all of them said none or minimal. <laughs> and sure enough. What happened when they did the black duck scan? They found it was like somewhere between like 60 and 70% of their software stack yeah. was. So there's so much already being used. A lot of a lot of this, and I think this is probably some of the same patterns you probably all have seen in you know organizations you worked with. They're already using and consuming it, and then they realize it, and then they're then they're sort of caught up in like, okay, what's the ethos around this? And how can we, as opposed to being consumers, how do we use this as sort of a business strategy for us? So yeah. That is sort of a pattern we're starting to see. Um, you know, there's a number of industries that are digging into this. I mean, the gaming um, industry obviously is big, but you know, we started an open 3D engine foundation earlier this year. Um, you know, there's work I know in the agricultural industry on you know foundations sort of in that space. Um, you know, th there's just a lot of a lot of those industries. I mean, you probably name an industry and there's either well, there's definitely open source in it and yeah. or there's thoughts discussions plans or even a direct movement of really starting sort of a collective um you know vendor neutral space around it yeah 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 absolutely and i i think when we were 
when we were talking about some of the, the sort of the key parts of, of you know what you've been involved in and it's been a bit of a, a thread throughout uh, the time that we've known you is like the open mainframe project which mm -hmm. I I sort of I, I always joke that uh, like mainframes and cockroaches will will outlast us all you know <laughs> come, the, come the nuclear apocalypse like they'll be the things that survive um, but you're not you know, wrong, this by is... the way. You're not wrong. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there are there are there are hilarious stories that I talk to of people. Their stories around mainframe of like, you know, I was having to debug this such and such, and it was this mainframe, and it was locked in this cage below the subway, and that was like 20 years ago. And I'm like, you do realize that mainframe's still there, right? And it's still running. <laughs> and he's like, I know, but and and, and to be honest, anyways, I mean, I didn't mean to cut you off in there, but. I think that's sort of a fat, a fascinating part of this industry is, yeah, you sort of look at that joke in there, but at the same token, that just shows the staying power of this infrastructure and how really important it is, but also just the legacy and really what it was, you know, meant to do. Like you know, this this hardware was designed in an era where it wasn't throwaway hardware, and good reason because like yeah. stuff cost like millions of dollars like in today's dollars mm -hmm. and, and even more to get going um yeah. and and it was designed in a way that it was designed to outlast us it was designed to you know be that rock um out there so it was it was designed almost in a little bit of a different philosophical area era you could argue but at the same token yeah. that's what its great value is is it's yeah. meant to be here forever yeah With yeah i mean so uh, so, so as as much as it kind of it makes me chuckle to say it, what's new in the world of mainframe? <laughs> well, you know, COBOL is always new, right? <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's it's really interesting. We, you know, y'all remember last year when all the U.S. government, you know, states and governments kind of said, "Oh, you know, this COBOL code, we don't know what to do with it, and nobody's here to maintain it, and all these systems or whatever." And, you know, the reality is, is that code is extremely important because of the infrastructure it um, maintains. And there was always the thought in the mainframe space of we've got to move away from this because of mm. its, you know, where it's at, its legacy, you know, it's a drawing out support. And as it turns out, a lot of, you know, a lot of those predictions or a lot of those movements end up just kind of halting because you know they recognize of what that what that code and what that tool was meant to accomplish is is very unique and it's solving a problem that's really hard to replicate in other areas you know if, if it's one thing that i've really noticed out with if you look at sort of the long tail of technology and you go back like 20 30 40 years there was really the idea of, you know, computing you brought in was just very general purpose. Like you brought in a computer, that computer solved all of your problems. And yep. what we've seen- And made, and made many, many more problems, but we'll gloss over <laughs> well, that. you know what, I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, yeah, there, there's, you know, there's that all over the place, right? Innocent bystanders. <laughs> um, but what we've actually started, what we've seen to find is, okay, now we've got into an area of very specialty you know, processing and specialty computing. Like we saw that with, you know, the cloud computing, you know, pieces. We've seen that with IoT. Um, you know, we've 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 just seen that all over the place. And, you know, the reality that organizations are are coming to grips with is 
it's it's no longer that I just go buy from one vendor. I call up my, you know, fill in the blank, my IBM, my Microsoft, my Oracle or whatever rep and say, okay, I need to solve this problem, you know, you know, pull up the truck with whatever I need. Um, companies are, as they're coming to this transition where they're becoming software companies, they're realizing we compete by that stack that we put together. Um, and we saw that, you know, I mean, the Hadoop world, you know, was really predicated and a lot of the data movement was predicated on that. Or these companies were mm -hmm. sitting on piles of data and being able to have unique ways that they could process through and, and act upon it was what really predicated that big data era. That's what really pushed that forward because people saw, wow, I'm sitting all this data and maybe opportunities to collect more if I have the tooling to do something cool with it and unique and, you know, you know changing, that's helpful. And we see that a lot now on the infrastructure side. I mean, we have organizations are investing more in COBOL right now. Like yeah. if you, if we actually, um, one of our, we had a working group that did a, a survey um, on COBOL and trying to assess sort of lines of COBOL out there. And I think the last time a survey like this was done was in, I think the early 2000s. And there's more COBOL lines of COBOL now than there was 20 years ago. It's wow. being actively built. Um, yeah. I, I can't give an exact number on this, but there is more mainframe, um, and I think the terms they use is MIPS, there's more mainframe yep. MIPS being used today than there was 20 years ago. And not just like a marginal amount, a mm -hmm. significant amount. And we've seen even over the last you know couple of years here, that is continuing to increase. I mean, they're no longer thought of maybe as sort of in a general purposing standpoint, but for the things that mainframes are good at, um, companies are doubling down on that. And yeah. they're actually increasing footprints in many cases um, and not decreasing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me when you think about it, and I think you touched on this right at the beginning, which was like these, these have outlasted so many so many trends in the in the tech industry like and mainframes are still there they're still kicking it they're still solving problems they're still delivering value to organizations and like we can like i regularly joke about them because well that's the, they're an easy I target. start they are an easy target but that's yeah. where i started like yeah. i i still remember dealing with punch cards i still remember having to go down to a printer room to go and like collect giant bundles of fan fold paper i still did uh, a whole bunch of stuff with you know both green screen terminals and you know tetronics mainframe graphical terminals what you could mm -hmm. get graphs out of back in the day mm -hmm. and so like i come from it with a bit of a like from a bit of a place of love as well because like that's how i started in the in the tech industry so you're not unique to, I mean, there's so many people I yeah. talk to that are like that. I mean, even tech journalists, I feel like sometimes some of the ones we get to talk to is because they're just so excited to have an article and a news story on mainframe. And then I get into like <laughs> a half hour conversation with them along the same lines there of, oh, well, back there, this, we were doing this on these terminals. And it's, it's, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I don't want to, uh, don't want to spend too much time on mainframe, but what I, what I got really excited about, way more excited than than probably uh, you know is deserved, but I'm hoping you're going to prove me wrong, is I was just <laughs> quickly check, checking out your LinkedIn profile before you joined, uh -huh. and I saw a uh, I saw an acronym that I didn't recognize, which was 
ASWF, and I yes. went and looked it up. And oh my God, this looks cool. Tell me about the Academy Software Foundation. So the Academy Software Foundation, it's actually been around for three years now. And the the really the idea, you know, so open source has really been um, a part of the visual effects and motion picture yeah. industry for a long time. I mean, if you look at a project like OpenEXR, I mean, it goes back 10 or 12 years at least. Um, and some of these even even more. Um, and if you really even open up the, 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 the view larger, um, visual effects, special effects are really at the cornerstone of just the TV and motion picture industry. And uh, I've probably told this joke before on here. So some listeners going to like go through here and say, John, stop repeating jokes. And I'm like, well, my kids don't <laughs> repeat things. So at least we're, we're on fair terms. But um, if you look at the top 100 grossing movies in Hollywood of all time, every single one of them has visual effects as a part of it or some sort of special effects. I mean, is that much of a cornerstone of the industry? Um, the trivia question is, is if you want to find like, which is like the, the highest grossing movie without any, you actually have to go, and a couple of years ago, it was somewhere in the 160s, and I'm sure this is probably even adjusted now, um, but you have to go all the way down there to find it. And this is the trivia question I like to use with folks. So what is the highest grossing movie in Hollywood of all time that has absolutely no visual effects in it or special effects? Mm, Casablanca. Actually, no, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. I'm desperate to know. Mamma Mia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great reaction I get from people on that one. Um, yeah. but, but it shows them just how important it is in there. And there's so much, and you know, where I think studios have really, you know, seen is, is the, where they're at in sort of the, the cost of where they're pushing into, you know, movie production. I mean, blowing things up on, on TV and, and things like that have almost become very much commodity in a lot of ways. And mm -hmm. you're seeing a lot of the investment that are really happening in storyline and things like that. And so you're seeing that sort of where, people are seeing the unique differentiator. It's not just, I mean, go back into the 90s and when we saw like movies like, you know, The Terminator or things like that, that, you know, blew stuff on TV, we were, we were blown away because nobody was doing some of that stuff, right? Now that's like commodity. Um, and so that industry is realizing, well, they also realize that the cost of them all doing this individually, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like it's just, it just kills a lot of their budgets of what they're trying to do and the amount of movies they're trying to push through. So the industry has always been wrapped in open source. The challenge has always been, of, and we see this in other industries, is how do we collaborate together? And this industry has obviously had some colored, some history in, in um, you know, tech and open source and, and some of those things is, you know, things like, uh, you know, DMCA and, uh, you know, things like that that have yeah. happened in the past. And the industry has came a long really way towards that of really just sort of understanding technology, the internet, collaboration, open source, um, and really the coming together of this in the Academy Software Function, uh, Foundation is really unique in two fronts. I mean, one of just having the studios collaborate, mm -hmm. but another is, so the people behind the Oscars is the um, Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, right? So these people that put on the Oscars, um, Seeing my dogs were gonna bark. Oh, we're gonna get the dog bark in here, but that's okay. That's that's yeah, obvious for the audience. He's invited too, no problem. <laughs> you know, they, they joined in. Who knows? Um, 
but so they came so so that group has really two parts is the one of the art side which is the oscars and then the other is the sciences which is the SciTech council which focuses on really the science behind the movies um and they have a whole awards too called the SciTech awards that part of the academy sort of recognized the challenge that was ahead um, with some of these open source projects but just also the future direction of collaboration in this area um, and we actually, the Linux Foundation worked for them for several years to come up with this structure. And the Academy was really so excited about it that they lent their name to this foundation to have that happen. Like they put their name on this. The Academy has never done this ever before. Like this is the first time ever. And so that shows to you sort of the level of commitment and endorsement and really where this group is going. So. So that's sort of like the history backstory. The fun part now is like what's going on, um, yeah. you know, and, and if you look at sort of the, and I'm sure probably you've been looking at some of those dockets, the projects and thinking, wow, really cool names, wonder what some of these things actually do. Um, <laughs> but you can see this video on here, and this is why I really, you know, suggest is just everyone in your audience, go check out the sizzle reel here as we call it. Because um, this really digs into sort of many of the pieces. All, all of these projects here are, you name a movie, they're being used in them. Yeah. I, I mean, there's the industry standards in there. Um, if you see an explosion on TV, that's open VDB, um, open, you know, volumetric for, you know, all those volumetric, um, you know, compositions and stuff. That's where that comes from. Um, and as you can see here, some cool examples is, is on there. Um, Material X is a new one that just came to the foundation um, that's, you know, talking about material layering, things like that. And, and it was, came out of Lucasfilm and it was exclusively used um, in the last series of Star Wars. So everything, um, you know, from uh, some of the sort of the intermediate, um, you know, films once um, Lucasfilm sort of moved into Disney and everything going forward have used that in just sort of, you know, designing a lot of those scenes together. Um, you know, color matching and is, you know, really focused on open EXR and that EXR is a industry standard um, around that front. Um, so. It's fascinating. It's you all. There's also just some really amazing software engineering happening, and that's one of the things many people don't realize is there is great software engineering jobs and talent in that industry, and it is one of the ones that, especially if you come out of like a strong computer science grad that really likes math, this is the industry to get yourself into because um, they are doing some fascinating, really, really cool stuff. It, it I, I mean, as someone who absolutely loves films, loves mm. home cinema, um, and loves tech, like this just this just seems amazing. And it, there's even I noticed on the news and events, there's like a careers in film plus technology webinar that's that's coming up. Mm -hmm. There's you know a whole bunch of open source forums. There's like different working groups that people can get involved in. Slack channels, GitHub, like this. There's so much stuff here that, you know, for people that that this sounds exciting or interesting, like for something that's been around, it's no surprise to me now you tell me it's three years old that, mm -hmm. that this is so well developed, but mm -hmm. it just feels like, uh, it just feels like it's got an amazing momentum. And let's face it, a cool factor that, uh, you know, not that many other tech areas can can really compete with. It's, it, is, it is a very fun area, um, and there's some really amazingly smart people um, that are, are behind this. Um, 
you know, and, and they're also really becoming very forward uh, thinking in the areas that they're starting to focus on. So you're seeing sort of topics like visual production, um, you know, asset, you know, review, um, review and approval and things like that, that these studios are really grappling with and the conversations are happening here. Um, one of them really has came out of it um, is, is a newer project. It's kind of very much on the early stages. Um, it's called our asset repository project because one of the biggest challenges um, for studios, but also for our open source projects were having good assets to use and actually testing these things out. Like it's, I mean, you can kind of make up sort of junk assets or, you know, okay assets to whatever, but to really stress test it to the point of like, is this suitable to be in a film? You need assets yeah. to do that. The challenge is, is most of these assets are like very, very much the IP of these companies mm -hmm. and not stuff that you could just put out there for free. Um, and we've spent a lot of time with this industry trying to help craft that together of what, what could be not only sort of a licensing approach, that would enable studios to help contribute many of these assets with the understanding of how they can be used in sort of furthering developing out these tools in the open, but also um, at the same token of giving this group also a way to curate and have very exemplar quality assets that can be you know pulled together. Um, you know, Disney a few years ago released a bunch of the the scene data from Moana um, as really kind of the first push towards this area of getting high quality assets. And now we're seeing other organizations like Animal Logic even step up um, and putting a number of their assets and tools, you know, their assets out there as just a way to help push these projects forward. Because um, that's, you know, just, I mean, you all know in the software development area, like if you don't have good test data, you can't, you're not going to get very far. Um, and yeah. it turns out the test data is, you know, two terabyte, you know, image scenes. Um, <laughs> which is, I guess, a whole different um, you know, ball of wax there. But uh, yeah. there's some really fascinating conversations that we're starting to see come together. I can, I can imagine, I can imagine. And like the, the it, not to kind of to be too more, too more gushy about this, but like the, the people involved in, in this, uh, in this foundation, like you, you've already mentioned the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, you've got you know, tech companies like AWS, AMD, Adobe, you've got, you know, DreamWorks, Walt Disney Studios, Weta Digital, Warner Brothers, you've got, um, you know, Unreal Engine, Unity, um, you know, Sony Pictures Image, like, it's just a, it's a who's who of, like, everybody any everybody and anybody that's that's anybody and i was even kind of i was when i first heard about this i was like oh surely surely blender is in here um and i see them now as like an associate mm -hmm. uh, company but the blender has its own foundation as well so mm -hmm. i guess that makes sense but it just seems like a like an amazing uh, sort of collection of folks all all with a, a common vision and a common direction which is always always very powerful it is and and i think what's been really impressive out of this is even some of the projects that came in here that were already existing they've all gained i don't want to say life because they were very much active projects before but we've seen the collaboration just skyrocket like if i look at open vdb um and i compare the last 12 months with the 12 months before they came into the foundation 
I mean, mm. the commits are up something like 200 or 300%. Um, you know, yeah. they've doubled the number of contributing organizations. And if I look at every single one of those projects, you know, that have been around here for about a year or so, and I compare them to where they were at before, you, you, you either see, you know, a huge, you know, triple digit increase in commits contributions, um, and or you see the number of contributing organizations, you know, increase multiple folds. And yeah. to me, like, is, is like, is we try to take a look at health, because I get the number one question I get projects ask me is, you know, is, is how is my project doing? Like, is it doing as good as fill in the bank project? And mm. you know what everybody's comparing to when they say fill in the blank project, right? <laughs> you tell me. Usually it's Kubernetes these days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, makes sense. Yes, people also say you know uh, the Linux kernel too because I think it's also an exemplar. But I think we're seeing actually Kubernetes is a much higher is, is getting to a higher velocity project. But but people yeah. ask like are, are we you know they look at that and they just sort of say hey are we are we doing good and the first answer I always have to say is each project is unique so you you can't really gauge you, you can't do even you know comparisons. But what we do what I always do say is. I look towards the trends of commit contributions. Is that, you know, ticking up? And then the second thing I look towards is diversity of contributors. Um, and if that is increasing, and and on a number of different fronts, like where the contributors are, backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, all those pieces, but also really a big important one is organizational diversity, um, because you know projects that are thriving. And the ones that you see the most activity with are the ones that you have multiple companies contributing to and driving and um, bonus points if they're competitors because that even drives it faster um i mean and you all remember you know from the the heydays of hadoop um you know when you had you know MapR and cloudera and hordenworks kind of all like duking it out um that's when you saw the innovation yeah. happening um yeah, and yeah. we see that same pattern it's it's when you see that collaboration happening, the whole industry rises up on it, and you just see so much more investment and interest happening. And that's you know, and, and I look at all these projects that are coming out of SWF, and they're all hidden. That they come in, yeah. Um, we get neutral governances together. We get neutral contributions and IP policies. Um, they have a, a great outreach effort to you know lean on, and they all just take off. And you see new studios and new folks coming in and. Like you said, even the software vendors, like you see Google and Microsoft and Amazon getting involved with these projects, not just like being there of, you know, flies on the wall, but writing code and contributing to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the the growth of these product projects, the uh, the acceleration in contributions, commits, the it, like, this is just the power of the Linux Foundation and the frameworks that it sets up at work of not just driving, um, you know, driving people to contribute to them, but driving awareness that these things exist, and then driving the collaboration as well. So, mm -hmm. it's it's yeah, it's amazing stuff that you're doing, and uh, you know, I think uh, unless there's anything else from you, Jan. No, just uh, remembering back from when I started in this career with uh, Silicon Graphics, and it was a very closed world, and nobody talked to anybody. It's a real different. Yep. It's a different world now. Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. But John, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you again. 
Um, I, I very much hope that we'll get a chance to catch up before before we hit year six next time round. But uh, maybe like it, a you know, any... check in, like a five and a half year, you know, check. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> but before we do wrap, like, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? Anything else that they should check check out that you're up to? You know, I, I can't even list all the things that I'm, I'm into these days. Um, I've got so many um, things going on. No, I mean, I would just say really pay attention, you know, to some of the space um, around the Linux Foundation. I think not only are we starting to see a lot of convergence happening, but um, one thing that the foundation has put a huge investment in over you know, the last couple of years is building up sort of the tooling infrastructure that powers these communities. I mean, you know, there's so much of us here um, that, are, have deep open source expertise. And the one thing that we're trying to help work with our communities on is, you know, you know, where GitHub really um, has had has done monumental work for just giving a solid platform for these open source projects, you know, to exist. Um, we've been really focusing on that step further of how do we, you know, enhance the ability for all these projects to collaborate um, and how do we make sure that these projects are, can create value? So one thing that, you know, for all of your listeners to keep an eye on um, is our LFX platform. It has a number of different components to it. Um, you know, both an insights platform that is really letting um, our projects um, really get a sense of what their collaboration is, who's contributing, what their trends are. Um, those, that's a really important piece there. Um, we have a security piece that's really coming online that's uh, focusing on giving projects sort of a single dashboard to kind of assess their, um, you know, there's, you know, not only just sort of their uh, supply chain from a security standpoint, you know, understanding of my dependencies, but also being understand their licensing and other sort of ramifications as well. Um, but then, you know, even past there of tooling around crowdfunding, tooling around mentorship, all of those pieces that, you know, are, are the glue that help open source projects thrive. I mean, there's very much base things in there of I've got a I got a code, you know, I've got a, a repository. Um, I got a place to do, you know, some of my CI, you know, there's there's all sort of those technical pieces, which I think um, we've seen built up really nicely over time. The next level is the how do I assess kind of the question that people come back to me and ask is my project doing good or not? And we're working on building a lot of those toolings that helps you assess that, but then also helps you with that collaboration to pull this all together um, and help work with your community and, and um, not kind of having to pull out of pulls tools together. So that's that's an area there. I mean, we're, we've, we've done announcements about it. I think at Member Summit, um, we did some announcements on some evolving in the platform. So that's an area, I mean, all, all your folks should just check it out. It's, it's some really interesting yeah. tooling that's coming together. Um, and uh, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna start to see that as becoming a, a really nice bit where you're seeing a lot of open source community saying, yeah, and like where we, we it's it's more than just a code repository. It's more than just a quick build environment. Um, it's how do I holistically look at this community and where it needs to go? And, and not all projects. I mean, there's you know there there's a lot of projects that that's sort of not the direction, but the ones that you're seeing, you know, you know, biggest scale out there are the ones that are thinking about their ecosystem and without a good set of tools, um, it's hard to really build that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, thank you once more, John. 
always a pleasure always yes. fantastic catching up with you likewise and uh yeah maybe we'll actually look see each other in person one day you, you think that's <laughs> oh, <laughs> i mean i i live in hope i ever live in hope i mean i i know no yon's kind of got used to the hermit life but uh you know i'm I'm, I'm still thinking. Either, by the way. I think this has been amazing, but you know, it would be nice to see you all again in person and maybe enjoy a pint together. Exactly. Exactly. Well, give us a shout when you're next in Europe, or we'll give you a shout when we're next out there. And uh, but in the meantime, yeah. it's been fantastic. Thank you as always, and uh, look forward to catching up with you before too long. Sounds great. Thank you both. Thanks, all. Speak soon. Cheers, John. Cheers. And thank you very much, John, for spending yet another year with us, if I can say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. It's uh, it's been a it's been a pretty amazing amazing journey over the last five years. We've managed to uh, managed to keep once more another year of uh, not missing a single release date, apart from the occasional technical hitch when something doesn't quite go out on time but we still hit the uh, uh episodes going out on the same day that we expect them to so that's the, that's the main thing and uh it's it's been a a continual pleasure kind of putting this content together occasionally scrambling and scraping the barrel but yeah. uh talking through the various uh topics and intrigues with both our guests and with you, Jan. So appreciate your time and effort, which is uh, always far more than mine uh, that goes into this. So, yeah, I'm just going to say thank, you, thank you and not return it because I mean, you told me I was bored, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing aside. It's been a, a blast doing this for so long with somebody I do respect because I don't think we would be doing this after five years if we didn't like each other enough, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the pre-recording <laughs> stuff gets pretty heated. Yeah, but in a good way. Uh, I don't know. True, true. No, I mean, the last <laughs> year has been challenging, though. I mean, the, the, on the one hand, the, the, the pandemic was annoying because it was a bit of a drought of, of topics. But on the other hand, we had a lot of time and reason to talk about things like companies dealing with it, uh, company mm. culture, things like that. So on the one hand, it was a, a poor year. On the other hand, it was a very enriching year. Very amazing yeah. how that works. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, unless you have anything else to add. I think that's it for the five years from me. Then that after five years is all the time you have for today. You can support the podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution helps. We are on YouTube. Please watch our YouTube movies. I spend a lot of time on that. And Dave likes the likes. And that's the sentence. Uh, please go to www.roaringalpha.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, the YouTube page, and all other information about podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter from time to time. I post something on Adroaring Elephant. And of course, when a new episode goes live, it gets pinged there as well. And you can send feedback by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. And with that, until next time, my name is... Uh, I still need to get me that foundation, Jon. <laughs> my name is uh, Giving the Gift of Wood, Dave. <laughs> I'll burn it, I tell you. <laughs> Goodbye. Need to use more lube. Family friendly podcast. <laughs> See you soon. There's a movie about that, right? Forget the name, but there's always time for lubricant. <laughs> uh, Evolution. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>